Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, <laughs> I think I've been coming to Harvest since about 2005 or 2006. Now, you can tell me why Craig and Ian allow me to come like this uh, all these many years, but anyway, I'm grateful. So, good morning, everybody. Listen, I have some good news and bad news. Uh, which do you want first? All right, so listen, I'll, I'll give you the bad news first. <laughs> we all have a serious problem. We all think we're pretty good. Jesus, however, says we are not. And uh, you want to check it out? <clears throat> let, me, let me just ask you some simple questions. Have you ever been angry at anybody? Like recently, yesterday, or the day before? Well, Jesus says you've already committed murder in your heart. Have you looked ever on a woman, you guys, to um, thoughts that you shouldn't have been thinking? Well, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You women, have you ever fantasized about what it would be like with uh, somebody else? Well, you've committed adultery in your heart. And so Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, it's not necessarily <laughs> good news. In fact, if you go on from what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Which one of us are perfect? Which one of you loves Jesus perfectly? Which one of you loves Jesus as much as you think you should love him? So, hey, we all fall short. And unless we believe the words of Jesus when he says, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So, none of, none of that is, <clears throat> is good news. And our goodness is our biggest self-delusion. And uh, sometimes all we do is try to clean the outside of the cup, try to look nice uh, like a cup like this, but, we're, but the inside is what Jesus is concerned about. So I have a question for you. And my question, my question is this. Where do you think is King Jesus' favorite place on planet Earth? I think about it. Well, <clears throat> let me tell you, I wish that I could take you to some of the places that I have had the privilege of going. I've taken out 50 teams all over the world, ministry kind of teams, 18 of them in basketball, and I'm going to take you to some very favorite places that I have been. These are all basketball teams sharing Jesus through sports. Um, 1975, went to Kenya, Ethiopia, and Egypt for seven weeks sharing Jesus. Addis Ababa, same year, 1975. Cairo, Egypt, 1975. Had the privilege of going to the pyramids in 1975. Quito, Ecuador, a five-week trip to South America, 76. La Paz, Bolivia, 76. Lima, Peru, 76. Mines in northern Chile, and by the way, there were missionaries, the Moravians, some of them, who sold themselves into slavery to reach miners in Chile years and years and years ago. Santiago, 1976. Ascension, Paraguay, 1976. Rio de Janeiro, 1977. Sometimes I'd play with our team and share Jesus with uh, 2,000 people. Uh, then, uh, well, Sri Lanka, where we used to be missionaries, 
uh, India, three-week trip there in 1979. And in 1980, we were the first team into China after the communist takeover. Guilin, China, one of the most beautiful places that I've ever seen. And then I took another team in 1982 to the Great Wall in China. And when we were in China, we played before 18,000 people in Shanghai against their national team. All opportunities to minister uh, the Word of God and to share Christ. And here's the Philippines in 1984. We were missionaries there as well. Buenos Aires, I took a team <clears throat> down to Argentina in 1990. And then one of my favorite looks of any place I've ever been, if I just have one look, Victoria Falls is at the top of the list. And I brought our basketball team here in 1994. So back to my question. Where is King Jesus' favorite place on planet Earth? Well, let me give you some idea. Some of you perhaps may think Jerusalem. It's a city of the great king, Mount Zion, all of that. Well, yeah, for Jesus, he entered into Jerusalem as we just celebrated Easter on Palm Sunday in about 33 AD. He wept over that city. And so you might think, hey, Jerusalem was his favorite place, or still is. And for good reason, in the Old Testament, the word Jerusalem is mentioned 647 times, New Testament 141 for a grand total of 788. But I would like to suggest to you that his favorite place on planet Earth is in the human heart. In the Old Testament, it was God always dwelling with his people. That was his heart, that was his desire. He wanted to be at the center of everything. And when we come to what we call the gospel, the good news, um, we, we are taught that the, this mystery of the gospel, of the kingdom of God, is that he wants to reside in our hearts. Jesus said in John chapter 18, my kingdom is not of this world. And he said earlier, my kingdom is of God is within. So he wants to make his heart your home. He wants to come and dwell in there. He wants to make you a new creation in, in, in Christ. For 30 years, I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I had no hope. I was without God in the world. And he had mercy on my sin-sick soul. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And that means Christ is in him. Old things pass away, new things come. And when I'm, he's, he's saying I had new desires, new appetites, obviously new dangers. But, but he's come to dwell in my heart by faith. And if you want to define Christianity, Christianity is nothing more, one for sure, nothing less than the life of the Lord Jesus poured into human hearts. So Jesus says, I've come that you might have life. They already had life, bios, physical life. I've come that you might have my life, Zoe the life of God in the soul of man. He wants to come and live in your heart, in my heart, by faith. And when he comes in, he comes in to, uh, to take over. And why would we not want to yield ourselves to this one who, has, who forgives our sins, who gives us a hope of eternal life? Uh, why would we want to yield to him? 
And so in Ephesians 3.17, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church and he had shared with them how they were loved before the foundation of the world and been adopted into his family and made his children and they were all sealed by the Holy Spirit. But his prayer is, is that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith. In other words, that Christ would have the freedom to move around in your heart and my heart examine areas in our life, room, so to speak, if you think of a home and a house, where he would move around and, and explore. And he wants to be at home in every area of our hearts and our lives. And when we do that, we, we gain freedom. <clears throat> and uh, the, the, the blessings that come, uh, the, the peace that we have with God that, that's in our heart, because he made peace for us at at, at Calvary, when he died upon the cross for, for our sins. Now, what I would like <clears throat> you to think about for a moment, uh, perhaps many of you, Christ is living in your heart. Maybe he doesn't have full control, or I hope he does, but, <clears throat> but uh, some of you here, you, you don't know him. And uh, you're wondering what life is all about, and you're searching and seeking, and you're trying to find satisfaction in uh, someone or something or whatever it might be. C.S. Lewis said years ago, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And friends, I believe that from the bottom of my heart that we were made for another world. When God made this world, it was beautiful. There was no sin. He created Adam and Eve. <clears throat> they walked with him. They talked with him. But he did give them a freedom of choice. And they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They ate it. And the day they ate it, they died. Not physically, but spiritually. And they started hiding. And so the fear, the guilt, the shame, all of that took place. Sin entered the world. And so the gospel has to do with the fact that through one man, sin entered the world, and then sin to all men, and so therefore death reigned. But in Christ, the last Adam, the last man, life has come. And that's what he offers for you and for me. Now, what I would like to do in my time with you, <clears throat> having the fact that we just celebrated uh, Easter, before Jesus went to the cross, he, he took his disciples and uh, he told them, hey, look, go prepare the Passover. And uh, he told them where to go and everything was prepared just as he said it was. And so think about that. The disciples are there with Jesus. This is the Passover. Hundreds of thousands of people have gathered now in Jerusalem. And most of us, well, we know a little bit perhaps about the Passover and when we uh, take communion or what we refer to as, as the Last Supper, we have some idea of, of uh, you know, what we're to remember, what we are to celebrate. But since we're not Jewish, uh, a lot of times we don't get the full picture and we don't understand the significance of what Jesus was really offering. And when he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, he offered them to drink it. 
But what was he doing? <clears throat> he was actually offering the cup when he did that to them. He was actually proposing. And so I want to walk you through uh, what it was like in Jesus' day, this whole thing of proposing, this idea of betrothal and a, a wedding. Remember, this is something he's offering them, not the old covenant of laws and so forth. This is a new covenant. This is a new offer. This is something that he wants to do in your heart and in my heart. But I want to explain what it was like in Jesus' day for a Jewish wedding. And this betrothal, if you remember, Mary and Joseph, they were betrothed one to another, and then Mary was found to be with child. And Joseph, being a righteous man, was going to put her away silently, okay, until an angel comes and says, hey, this one, Mary, is, is, is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. But that betrothal was something that was legally binding. It, it was a covenant. And so... <clears throat> What would happen in a Jewish culture is the father would basically choose a bride for his son. Oftentimes it was two families that would get together, perhaps they've known one another, it looks like a, a good match, and the father says, son, this, this gal here will make a, a, a perfect bride for you. And so the father would really choose the bride for his son. And then once that was done, and the families literally agreed to some degree, not fully yet, uh, the bridegroom would go to the home of <clears throat> the bride. And he would present an offer. It's like uh, Lobola here in, in uh, Zimbabwe. But what he was offering was a, a covenant and with a specific price. Just like a Lobola, you have to arrange and chat and talk and agree upon it. And that's what they, he would do, the bridegroom would do. And that would then be whatever the price was accepted by the bride's family. So they would accept. But that wasn't all. The bridegroom then would pour a glass of wine for her and she would drink it if she accepted. So even though the families and so forth had, ag had agreed, this was what they went through. And so she would have to take this cup that he offered her, and she, by drinking it, was saying, I am willing to give myself to you forever. He, in turn, would drink from the exact same what would happen after that? Well, they would be officially betrothed, one to another. And then the bridegroom would basically tell her, you have been set apart, you have been sanctified, you are mine, I'm yours. But before he left, he would give her gifts. He wouldn't tell her when he was coming back because he was going to go away. But he would give gifts to her, reminding her of this betrothal, this legal agreement that they had made one with another. And so the bridegroom would go home and he would build a honeymoon suite. 
usually in the Father's house, not necessarily, but, but usually. Now, it might take some time. It might take a year. It might take two years. <clears throat> there was no time limit on it. But the father would tell his son when it was finished, when the honeymoon suite was finished. Now, the husband, maybe he wanted to, to go earlier. And he says, son, you haven't met all the specific specifications that I have for you. But when it was finished, the father would instruct his son and he would say, hey, Go get your bride. And so he would go. The bride, in the meantime, <clears throat> whether it's a year, two years, she didn't know. But she would be preparing herself. She would be keeping herself pure. She would be wearing a veil over her face, signifying the fact that she was betrothed, that she already belonged to one another, although the marriage was not yet consummated. And so the bridegroom would go to the bride's family. And while there, when he would announce his coming, it would be a big ram's horn blast. And they would all know then that the bridegroom was coming and the bridesmaid and so forth. And if you're, some of you know your Bibles, you remember in Matthew chapter 25, there's a parable of Jesus tells of the ten virgins. They were to have their lamps trimmed. They were to be ready because they never knew when the bridegroom was going to come. Five had their lamps trimmed, five did not. They were not prepared. They were not ready. But the bride herself was to, to anticipate his coming. And so everyone would then go, this procession, back to the bridegroom's home. And when he got to the home, the couple would go in this marriage honeymoon suite that he had made, that he had been preparing, very, very specifically, they would go and they would consummate the marriage. And once the marriage was consummated, <clears throat> he would come out with his new bride and there would be a massive feast. It could last two days, three days, four days, sometimes as much as a week. And they would just celebrate the fact that they were now married one to another. The two had become one. And they were now together, never ever to be apart. So, when Jesus picked up the cup and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood, he was making a bona fide offer to them. And so what did they do? Well, <clears throat> if you know anything about what took place there at the Last Supper, they all drank from the cup. Jesus offered them the cup and they drank. It was a new covenant. And this new covenant was promised in the Old Testament. And God had said, one day I'm going to come and I'm going to remove the heart of stone that you have and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I am going to put my spirit within you. I'm going to dwell in you. I'm going to write my laws upon your own heart, upon the mind. And so this is what Jesus was offering these men. 
And he said at that particular time, he says, he would never drink it again until heaven, until they drank it with him. So he was explaining to them and he was promising to them that one day, another day or a day is coming when we are going to drink this and we are going to celebrate this in the presence of the Father, in the presence of God. In the meantime, what did Jesus tell his disciples? They knew that he was the bridegroom and that the church, <clears throat> as you get into the New Testament, that the church is the bride. And he told his disciples that he was going to go away and they were deeply grieved and they were sad. But he, he tells them in John 14, he says to them, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. Just like the bridegroom prepared a place at his father's house for his new bride, Jesus is preparing a place for his own, for his, not just anybody, for his bride, for his chosen ones, to those whom he loved and still loves to this day. So, <clears throat> we as believers are not home yet. And so, as we journey down in this uh, world in which we live in, this crazy uh, world, <laughs> we are not always at home. We're, we're not, we're, his kingdom is it's not of this world. And so, we're longing to be with Him. We're longing and looking for as the... Uh, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, they were looking for another city, Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and all the Old Testament prophets and those, for a city whose architect and builder was God. But really what they were looking for is to being with their God. And so Jesus said he was going to prepare a place. And so it is. So we live sometimes in this, in this tension, even as Jesus followers who he lives in our hearts by faith. Okay, we're satisfied <clears throat> that our sins are forgiven, that we're adopted into his family, that we've been redeemed by his blood, all of those kind of things. And yet, there's, there's this tension. It's like, well, Paul said, yeah, I know him, but I want to know him better. I want to experience his, his life, his power. I want to be conformed to his death. I want to live the same way that Jesus lived, always doing the, the, the will of God. So, we're not home yet. And so there's going to be this tension. But what did he promise his disciples before he left? He says, I, I, I'll, I'm going to give you my peace. Amidst all the crazy circumstances that you're going to face in life, you can have peace. My peace. And I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. And I'm going to dwell in your hearts by faith. I will not leave you as orphans or alone. No. And while we journey on down <coughs> towards home, he's with us. And so the bride was to trust. She didn't know when he was coming. She was to be alert. She was to be prepared. And she was to be expectant. And friends, it's the same for us as believers. 
We're to trust the Word of God, the promises that He has. He's preparing a place, and one day He, the bridegroom, is coming back. And He's coming back for His bride. <clears throat> In Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, it says this, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. You see, Jesus is coming back for a pure bride, a blameless bride. And so he is working, perfecting, and nourishing, and cherishing his church, working in their hearts, in their lives, in our hearts, and in our lives. In the Old Testament, in the book of Hosea, this love story that you find there, God says, I betrothed you to me forever. Forever is a long time. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion, and I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and then you will know that I am the Lord. You see this betrothal? <clears throat> and when Jesus was offering them the cup, he was offering them, literally, he was proposing to them. He says, I want you to drink it. This is the new covenant. This is the new day has dawned. This is the new life that be can begin with you. What about you? Will you drink the cup that Jesus offers? He says, if anyone is thirsty in John chapter 7, let him come to me and drink. And if you drink and you keep on drinking, this will become a well in you springing up to eternal life. And what he was speaking of was the Spirit of God. And when he offers you <clears throat> the cup, we are to drink it. It will quench our thirst, but just like a cup of water, a cup of tea, a cup of coffee will not quench your thirst forever. It will quench it initially, but then you come and you keep drinking day after day after day. And so it is to be with you and with me when we come to him by faith trusting in who He is and what He has done for you and for me. No, we're not home yet. <clears throat> we're waiting for the shout, the voice of the archangel. And when it does, the dead in Christ will rise first. And there's going to be a day, as Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the dead in Christ will rise first and we are alive, will be caught up with the Lord, and thus we will always be with the Lord, that is a promise. And when we go to be with Him, there will be this celebration, this feast. This feast is nothing like you and I can ever imagine. The Scriptures tell us in, in 1 Corinthians, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered into your heart all the things that God has prepared 
for those who love him. You don't love him perfectly. I don't love him perfectly. But just like Jesus said to Peter, said, Peter, do you love me? No, he couldn't say he had this perfect kind of love. But he had a very fond affection for Jesus. And this very fond affection for Jesus that he had when he was still with him, when Jesus went away, was going to grow and to grow and to grow. And so it should be for you and for me that we would have a desire and a passion to know this one who offers us life and life eternal. Yeah, so Father, <clears throat> we are grateful for the privilege, the opportunity we have to minister one to another today, just being part of your family. You gave us gifts. And just like the bridegroom gave gifts to the bride while he was away, so you've given us gifts. The most important gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit, which has also given us the gift of community. You've given us the, <clears throat> the spiritual gifts the scriptures tell us as well. You've given us the gift <clears throat> of the Word of God. We have it in so many different translations. And may we indeed take the time, like Mary, to sit at your feet, which is where we should be every single day until you, the bridegroom, come and take us home. Listening to your word, because it is at your feet that we receive the comfort, the encouragement. <clears throat> we find out who you are and what you're like. So thank you, Lord, for, for each one that's gathered here today. You know each heart. And, and there are some, why would you want to refuse the cup that Jesus offers? He's a good God. He's for you. He was the friend of sinners. He was the lover of the unlovely. People like you, and for sure, people like me. You know what? He was for sinners. He was for misfits. And he takes us and he puts us in his forever family. Christ in us and we in him. May you uh, surrender. That's all he wants from you. To drink the cup and keep drinking of him day after day after day until the voice of the archangel and we go home. God bless you.